This is the Comedy Defect Podcast. My name is Winter Phonander and this is my show. This is episode 44 with the very funny, the very tall Mr. Tom Young. This is probably the tallest podcast guest I've had on this show. And this was quite a long episode as well. It flew by. I haven't spoken to Tom for ages. And I thought, look, I'll get him on the show. I first met Tom at a gig and I'd forgotten what happened to that gig. But he reminded me on the show. You'll hear that later. Tom is an improviser and he also teaches improv as well. He takes his improv co-op around the country, just raising awareness about improv and trying to you know, equal the reputation for improv that stand-up actually has at the moment. Improv and stand-up, they both complement each other, and Tom is passionate about his teaching and performing of improv. He has his own improv troupe called The Same Faces. They have their own YouTube channel called Same Faces 1000. Tom doesn't like that name very much. It doesn't fit. (laughs) But he'll tell you about that himself. Tom is also on all social media under the handle at Tom Young Comedy. I really enjoy talking to Tom. I don't want to make this intro very long because it's quite a long episode anyway. You can follow us on Twitter at The Comedy Defect. You can follow me at Winter Phonander. Now, I'm also previewing my one-hour show called Tolerance Around the Country, and the details for that are on my website, which is winterphonander.com. Now, the last preview went great. I'm really happy with where the jokes are going, and I'm just pleased with the development of it. So come see the previews. I say details are on my website, which is winterphonander.com. I'm also pulling as many jokes out of the Guinness Encyclopedia as I can, and they're on Twitter under the title, The Book Dad Read. Handle for that is at Guinness Jokes. If you like this podcast and you want to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon. Go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast, donate as little as a dollar or as much as five, ten, fifteen dollars, whatever you feel this podcast is worth. But if you can't donate, just share your favorite episode, tell your friends about it, because it tells people where we are and what we're doing. I don't talk for too much longer because this is a great episode with the improviser, comedian, the tall talent, which is Tom Young. Tom Young, welcome to the Comedy Defect. How you doing, man? You right? I'm I'm getting better. I mean, yeah. I've had a, I've had a cold for two days, which sort of snuck up on me. Right. Um, usually, most people they lie out like working, working, working. You have a week off, mm. and your body goes. Bleh. Instead, my body's chosen a week where I'm at my busiest <laughs> to go. You can have a cold now as well, just to top that as well. Great so, timing. I'm run, I'm running an improv retreat basically oh, at, the right. week, at the weekend. This is the fourth one we've done now and I've been involved in running the previous three and I have every single time lost my voice (laughs) at some point across the weekend it goes and so I just went oh good so I've now managed to lose my voice just before I know I'm going to lose my voice and usually when that happens I'm then sick for about a month or whatever so uh it'll be more like a retreat of like a silence like a mindfulness thing where you don't speak for uh, what's, what's, what's that what they do oh, you know, like they agree monk, with me more yeah. a monk thing you're like oh yeah oh, he's, oh he's doing this weird thing now it's like oh just an improv thing we'll just be quiet now and just be physical okay and that's <laughs> and they talk like charades it's yeah. improv charades yeah that would probably help uh, no it, it's, it's co-run by um, me and a guy from Nottingham and yeah. but he does all the business side basically and I do the programming and I oversee who's running the workshops and whatever and then I sort of, I mean, we front it together, but in terms of the hour to hour, what's happening where, because mm. I've done the program, people are usually asking me stuff. So that's why I'm 
I'm sort of the face of it when it's happening. Jeff's the face of it in advance. Right. He picks the venue, he books the dates for it and whatever. Yeah. We've had this one booked in since November. We've, you know, it's sold out in about six weeks because we've yeah. got like a core group of people from around the country now who like book in straight away. Mm. In fact, we've got a lot of people who've been to previous ones who aren't coming this time and we still sold out really quickly. But I then got a message from Jeff last Saturday saying, oh, by the way, I'm not going to be there for about 80% of it. Oh, <laughs> I was no. like, oh, great. Because <laughs> it turns out he's got to go on a compulsory work thing that has been booked in since. Oh, no. So, <laughs> so, so I'm totally now, on your own. Yeah, basically, yeah. No. With a cold and they're going to lose my voice. Oh, my oh, <laughs> so, that's it. You that's know, tough. it'll be fine. Yeah. And how many people are at the retreat? I think there were 46 booked on for it. Holy, that's um, a lot of work, man. That's a, 46, and you're just the main, like, you know, director of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, we get, the way it works, it runs on a co-op ethos, basically. So sure. if you're teaching on the weekend, you get, like, money off and whatever. So there's, I think, I think there's about eight teachers, but some of them are doing more than one workshop. And so I sort of oversee them and make sure they're all in the right rooms and people know which workshops are happening when and all of that. Yeah. So that side of it is what I, is what I do, and I'm teaching two of the workshops myself. And then there's like shows in the evening, and I tend to compare those. Yeah. So, so that's like after a full day, here, get your energy up and get the room on. Side. <laughs> Come on, guys! Exactly. Yeah. Oh no! Like you're just hoping that nothing goes wrong because, like, basic bog standard admin is something's going to go wrong, oh. and it, and you're going to have to deal with that as well as do the other stuff. Yeah. Well, well our, our Sundays are cursed. Right. <laughs> this is what we've decided. Yeah. Our Sundays have not gone well. So the the spring event last year. Right. On the Sunday, we woke up on the Sunday morning. We were at a place called Hofort Hall, which is a great little conference centre, and it's, but it's just outside of a village. Right. And so they've got their own generator. And we woke up on the Sunday morning, power was out. <laughs> so, and so there was no like hot breakfast until late. Like, uh, they really made up for it, I've got to say, because like about 11 o'clock, they went, right, we've made you bacon sandwiches and sausage sandwiches. And what it turned out is somebody who lived in the village had gone home with all the bacon and the sausages, cooked it, covered it in foil and brought oh, it back in. So I was like, oh, that's, that's a good way of making up for it. Yeah, for sure. But we also had a music workshop that morning and the, and the guy who was running it had an electric piano. Yeah. <laughs> so we had no instrument. No. <laughs> so that happened. And then at the, at the autumn one on the Sunday, we woke up and like about a third of the people who came had been ill overnight. No. So and we still don't know whether it was food poisoning or norovirus. But my argument against it being norovirus because I didn't feel well. But you know when you're caught up in the hysteria yeah. of the thing, yeah. and as soon as you leave, you go, "Oh, actually, no, I'm fine." Yeah. So I, I, I left having felt ill for ages, <laughs> yeah. and then I can't. I drove home. It took me about an hour and a half to drive home. Yeah. I got back and I went, "Oh no, I'm fine." And then I went out and played basketball for, for like an hour and a half. Yeah. We still don't know which one it was. The only thing that makes me think it wasn't norovirus is nobody really said that people around them had then got ill when they got home. Yeah, okay. So that's why I think it was probably food poisoning, but food poisoning is incredibly difficult to prove because yeah, right. you have to provide an infected stool sample to the... Oh. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Sorry to take the podcast in this direction. Oh, <laughs> 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 right. well, it's great. It's yeah. great to have you here, Tom. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I'm glad this is going to be released after your uh, your weekend yeah, yeah. improv because otherwise it might be detrimental to your uh, to running of the show. Oh, they had norovirus. Yeah, yeah. And then the, this Sunday, the generator packed up and then one of them, someone yeah. was killed. If uh, and then, and then it's like, you just <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
expanding and exaggerating yeah. and adding each time. Yeah. So if uh, yeah. something's happened this time, I'll send you a message to let you know so that you sure. can include it in the intro. Or <laughs> Tom Young, he's dead now. And stressed to death. How long has that been going for? In November 2015, right. we did the first. We did the first one, which I wasn't officially involved with, and right. um, Jeff was basically doing it on his own, and then I just sort of ended up doing more and more as the weekend was going on and then it got to a point where we just went so I help you run the net yeah you gotta be grand yeah. <laughs> so, yes. the, so the spring one I was the first one I was like properly officially involved in running and then the, I've done the now three since then and we've already got the dates lined up for November and it's, it never stops then does it yeah a continuous, it's, a, it's, it's, always continuous. Keep, it's keeping going is your background in improv though Tom? Uh, it's, a, it's a fairly equal split between stand up and improv so yeah. my first gig as a stand up is not my official is not my real first gig mm. so I, I count from my first gig on the circuit yeah. rather than from and I've long since stopped counting, but that's the one I count as the first. But I'd done like probably 11 gigs in the year before I started doing that at, for various other random things. But birthday parties. Don't do birthday parties. That's a terrible idea. Yeah, um, I'm sure. Oh, I found that out the hard way. So I did a, like a sketch show that I'd written when I was, I used to work as a teaching assistant. And whilst I was there, one of the things I did, because you work with all the low ability students. So I went, right, well, I'm going to do something where I can work with the, higher ability students as well, just to be a little beacon of light in the week of, you know, something that's a bit, that doesn't feel like so much work. So I decided to put on this comedy show and the school had never done anything like that before. Yeah. So my original intention had been that I'd get a group of students together who would write the sketches and so on and so forth. Yeah. And then none of them showed the motivation to actually write the sketches. So in the end, I had to do it. <laughs> so, oh, no. so I wrote about seven sketches. Yeah. I did a bit of stand-up at the beginning because I went, I can't send the kids out to a cold yeah, audience. Yeah, of course. And I, I've not done stand-up at this point, it's oh. worth remembering. So I was no better as an option, but at least it wasn't them. Well, <laughs> um, you took one for the team. Yeah, man. exactly. Yeah, so it was really not, <laughs> oh, it was no. really not good. Um, oh, no. So I'd done all of that. And then... I was only there for a year and then I went to university. So whilst I was at university, I was simultaneously, like this is the first six months or something, I was doing a second one. Right. But this time at the local theatre. So we do, I paid out 200 quid or something to hire the theatre for the evening. And again, ended up writing all the sketches. And mm-hmm. But this time I was like, right, okay, I'm not doing stand-up that badly again. Mm-hmm. So this time I went, okay, I will go and try some material out at the union bar and see how I go. So... When you did your first gig, how long were you meant to do and how long did oh, you actually do? I, I did 20 minutes and so I was only meant to do five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was supposed to do 15 and did 25, oh, yeah. And a lot of it was improvising. It wasn't even the material. I was just like, okay, let's see what's happening. Yeah. I'd started doing that. That was happening at roughly the same sort of time as I started doing improv. And I'd, I'd like found Whose Line Is It Anyway in like four years earlier when yeah. I was in America. So I was already obsessed with it. So I'd gone to uni going... If there isn't an improv group, I'm starting one. Right. Fortunately, somebody else was starting one, so I was like, oh, okay, I'll just jump in with that. They didn't really teach us, to be honest. It was very much a, right, off you go, have a, go, have a, <laughs> have a crack at it. <laughs> so it's only been since then where I've, I've quite heavily self-taught, where I've had yeah. to go and look stuff up and find out how it's right. supposed to work. You, you run courses or workshops, it's a retreat, so... Yeah, is so... Is there a certification at the end of it, or is no, it no, like... No, 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 it's, it's, it's basically people from all over the various other groups around the country who some of, some of them have got a very established like Box of Frogs in Birmingham yeah. like my group the same faces of we've got like 
I, th- I think we probably contribute about a third of the people who are going to the weekends at this point because I'm involved in running the thing, so I just get everybody I know to come along. The workshops are just snapshots, I would say, okay. where we go, okay, learn how to do this for 90 minutes and then take it back with you to your group at home in okay. Yorkshire, in Birmingham, in Nottingham, wherever, yeah, yeah. and work on it some more. But it's basically just, here's a, here's a taster session of mm. this idea that yeah. you can then develop. So just like a sharing of knowledge, more more of a, more than a, than yeah. a training centre. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Like, look, this is like what you can do. You've got to take it back to yours and we'll, we'll play with it next time when you're down. And we'll add, keep adding to it. Yeah. But you went to college to do acting then? Or no, no, I did the creative writing. This is, this is the great... I'm, I was thinking on the way down here, like one of my school reports said... <laughs> Thomas has a lot of good ideas, but struggles to commit them to paper. Right. <laughs> Which, to, to this day, summarises me perfectly. Right. Locked in your head. They're all in here. Well, no, it's, it's just... It's, writing down takes so much time. And improv is so immediate. It's like, I, can, I can play improv at yeah. a great speed because I can process really quickly. I've always had a very analytical brain. Uh-huh. And so I can process ideas really quickly and then start them. But if I had to go to the effort of sitting down and writing it out, because I write a new hour of stand-up every year for the Leicester Comedy Festival, mm-hmm. and the only reason I do that is to give myself a deadline where I have to write yeah. something. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not producing anything new at all. So. The impending dread of fuck is coming. And so how many hours have you done there? This year would have been the seventh. My 45th gig was an hour. Right. Except it wasn't. It was an hour and 15 when they cut me off. Oh. And I still had about 20 minutes to go if, I, if they'd let me. <laughs> there was another show after me and they were like, Tom, you've got to end now. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. The old um, cliche hook coming around the corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was exactly that, yeah. And that was basically because, do you know Elliot Bauer? Uh, At the yes, Nottingham Comedy so. Festival? Yeah. When Nottingham Comedy Festival was really new. And so it was at the Canal House, which mm-hmm. is now like every photo I see of that gig is like 100 odd people in on mm-hmm. a Wednesday. At the time, it wasn't that well known, so I got, I'd think of 14. Oh. <laughs> so, I'd done the gig for them, like my 30th gig or something was a gig for them. After that, Elliot had spent about a month saying to me, do you want the spot at the festival? Do you want the spot at the festival? Do you want the spot at the festival? And I was like, I don't really know. I'm not sure. And I eventually just said, look, can I just come and talk until I run out of material? Mm. Which is <laughs> exactly what I did. Because yeah. we'd been running the stand-up gig at the Union Bar and all of the other stuff. And there was only, there was like three of us at the university who were running this gig in tandem and we were like rotating who was comparing. Mm. So we were, we were doing it a lot. So I was writing a lot of new material each month. Mm. So I had a lot of stuff. So I did that at the Nottingham Comedy Festival and that was in 2010. And then six months later, I refined it for the Leicester Comedy Festival. Mm. And so I've then done a show every year in the Leicester Comedy Festival since 2011. So that's how I know it's must be seven this year. Wow, great, man. So you, what was the name of your show this year? This year's was Tom Young's Experimental Happiness. Right. Every one of my shows has started Tom Young's something. <laughs> so the, the, first one, the first one at Leicester Comedy Festival was Tom Young's Social Network. Right. Because I had a lot of bits. I hadn't written it as a show. It was just everything. So it was, I basically used... And Facebook's evolved since then. But at the time, the different sections of Facebook were very prevalent Mm -hmm. so it was like basic info relationship Mm -hmm. so i went up various bits of my life fit Mm -hmm. into the different sections of facebook so that's how i structured the show so i did right here's the basic info here's the relationship stuff is the you know so that was how i structured it and i got because it was my first show and i was like nobody's going to come and see somebody Mm -hmm. they've not seen so i also got three of my friends to do like the first half so that was my social network yeah the second show which remains probably my favorite 
Yeah. It, it's not the best, but it's probably my favourite. It was uh-huh. called Tom Young's Fantasy Life. Right. And that show was basically about... It was a mixture of stuff about superheroes. Yeah, there was sort of a big chunk about Harry Potter in it. Yeah. And then, like, aspiration and things that I want to do. And there was a somewhat controversial routine in which I listed my top ten fantasy women. Right. Which was funnier in context than it is when I, when I just say that point blank. Yeah, yeah. The next year, I did a show called Tom Young's Unfashionable Thinking, which was about how, because I'm so tall, I never buy clothes i can never walk into a shop and just buy something yeah, yeah. because it's not going to fit me so yeah. every, virtually everything i own has been ordered from either like marks and spencer's big and tall section or like high and mighty or something mm. and very little from high and mighty because you have to be high and mighty right and i'm a very thin man so basically it was all about the fact that fashion is never the first thing in my mind mm-hmm. and so i even like my musical taste i never know what bands people like I don't own any whole albums. Mm. I intend to have individual singles. That like, I like that song. Best of, all the way. Yeah. Do you, so, you feel judged, though, when you walk into like a, 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 like a music store? Or you, like, you can, look, you can do it all online now. Yeah. But you only go into, like, a, you score to HMV, go, like, I like the best of whatever, like, you know, yeah. album band it was, and you just, they just huff and... My relationship yeah. with stand-up is the relationship most people have with music. Yeah. So there were, like... Uh, literally last summer, somebody said to me, oh, that song got me through my... Mm you know, ages 13 to 14 or whatever. And I went, huh, interesting. Mm. I know whole stand-up routines by heart mm-hmm. that of other people, like Ed Byrne and Darren mm. and Brian and people. That was, like, how I got through those years. It was like, oh, I, I relate to that. So, yeah. So that whole show was basically about how anything that's popular, I usually go the other way and, mm. and like other things. And that show was smarter than it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> and like, well, so in that case, like you were, you were a massive comedy nerd when you were growing up. Yeah, yeah. And you knew you wanted to be a comic from the, from day one then, didn't you? I subscribe to the... You know people will go, oh, are comedians born or are they made? Sure. I think they are forged, uh-huh. but I think they're forged young. Mm. I think the best ones. Mm. <laughs> you have to have something that makes you a bit of an outsider mm. from an early age. So obviously mm-hmm. I'm... I'm physically unusual. People ask you all the time, how tall are you? Six or seven. Six, seven, right. Yeah, which I think probably takes the record for your podcast so far. I think you've done, I think I was going to say, you've you've done well. It was Rob Kemp, John Pierce and me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just just getting there. Physically, I was always the Mm. tallest in my class. It's not like I suddenly shot up. I was steadily the tallest from the beginning. Like my mum and dad exposed me to like Morecambe and Wise when I was like four. Mm. So by the time I was like six at school, I knew Morecambe and Wise's greatest hits by heart and because that made my sense of humor older than all of my classmates Mm -hmm. i was a bit weird of course so weirdly comedy made me a comedian right by being the outsider because i like comedy you're indoctrinated yeah exactly so i i was always it's always been there in the back of my mind as a thing that i was obviously training myself to do Mm -hmm. and it was really late i was literally not until i was about 18 where i actually went Oh yeah, <laughs> of course. This is what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. like the Goon Show as well, and all that. Yeah, know, and like around the horn, all that kind of old school kind of uh, stuff. No, not so much those ones actually. I, I had like um, just a minute, and yeah. I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Tommy Cooper stuff. I think Victoria Woods um, DVDs were some of the mm. earlier earlier mm. DVDs I had. Mm-hmm. And then, as I say, people like Ed and Dara, and mm. <laughs> I did a gig in Dublin last summer. And there was somebody said to me afterwards, "You've got a very Irish style." And I went, "Oh yeah, thanks. That will probably be because most of my influences are seem to be Irish people." Yeah. Are your parents tall as well? 
dad's six, one, mum's five, nine, five, eight, somewhere yeah. like that. So she's, they're, they're tall, but they're not freakish. Like, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. around kind of going, where are my parents? Oh, they're down there. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. That's mental. So yeah, I'd, I'd always sort of been obsessed with it. Yeah. And then, uh, Is there only one of you at home as well? No, my sister as well. She, she's five eight as well. Five you nine. just have to go through all the height of your your family, don't you? Really? Go, yeah, Where does yeah. it come from? Is it like well, my own? my mum's side of the family because my dad's parents are significantly shorter than me to the point where I think that he was adopted. Right, uh, <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't fit. Mm. Um, like there, I've been told by my grand since I was about twelve. Right, my grandfather was probably five six, maybe. Whoa, um, and. Uh, his name. <laughs> he must be taller than that. She, she, she's probably about five two, five three. I would have thought, right, and then right. he's probably a bit taller than that, but yeah. not a lot. And but my mum's side, like my, my granddad, that side of the family, he was six two. Yeah. And my uncle, who is the exact same body type as me, to the extent that we have like photos of me as a baby where it looks like I'm holding myself, right? Because he looks so much like me. Yeah. But he's six three, and then his two sons are. I think six four and six five. Yeah. The, and, and the younger one is theoretically still growing, so he might catch me, but yeah. he started to slow down. I don't think he's going to get there now. That's it. So it's still winning. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Obviously, I know a lot about this because people constantly tell me facts. So every generation grows by an inch on average over the previous one. Right. Which is also the reason that the standard door frame is six foot six because right. door frames were standardized 100 years ago when everybody was. Shorter. however many inches shorter mm. so I'm now taller than the average door frame mm. which means I've got terrible posture because of constant yeah. ducking mm. I have a, a theory that's weird that some people have tried to disprove of to me and, some, and there's always going to be exceptions to any rule mm. I think if you've got two siblings of the same gender mm-hmm. the younger one will always be taller right so it's a weird mm. thing I've studied. <laughs> it's a weird thing I've observed, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> the packaging isn't quite yeah, as yeah. good anymore. I'm not quite sure yeah. what that's about, but right. for some reason, I think that's a that's a thing. Paul Sinner, who right. obviously used to be a doctor, he was the. This was only like 2012. Mm. He told me I was medically classed as a giant because mm. you have to be two meters tall, and at six foot seven, I'm two meters and two centimeters. Okay, so I'm a low end yeah, giant, yeah. but <laughs> giant yeah, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I've been telling people ever since. In your business cards and everything, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Tom Young, giant. Uh, yeah. yeah. Occupation, giant. So you went to went to uh, college to do creative writing. Yeah. All of this started once I was at university, basically. Okay, right. I'd done, like, the odd, like, talent show or whatever mm. at school. Yeah. With other comedians' acts and whatever, which I think is fine until you're about 17. Mm. At which point, <laughs> at which point you're old enough to know better and you better write some material. Yeah. It's because I read Frank Skinner's book, his second one, On the Road. Mm. And he was talking about the fact that in his professional life, when people ask him, how do you want me to des- describe you? When, like, when he's being interviewed or whatever, and mm. ladies and gentlemen, please welcome writer and comedian Frank Skinner or whatever. The thing he still says, even though he hadn't done stand-up for a while, was, I'm a comedian. Mm. That is, first and foremost, what I think of myself as. Mm. And... He went, oh, I haven't done stand-up in a while, so maybe I should go out and do a tour, which is mm. the tour he then did in 2008, I think it was. And I went, ah, yeah, I suppose in the back of my mind, I think of myself as wanting to be a comedian. Mm. I better start doing stand-up. So that was what kicked it on. So I'd done all of those rubbish gigs through the year. Yeah. And then a friend of mine who was also on the, on the 
in the university group, he went and done a gig in Northampton for Donna and Neil Bond, as they now are. They weren't actually married at the point. Mm-hmm. And I went to watch him and then afterwards said to, the, said to them, oh, can I come and do a gig? Mm-hmm. And that gig was We Are Most Amused, oh, yeah. which I now run. Right. <laughs> they had another gig in rugby, which is my actual first gig. So they mm-hmm. booked me in for two. So they booked me for... The one in rugby, mm. which they no longer run, and quite rightly so. Um, why, why, why so? Well, I'll get to that. Right. And, then, and then two weeks after that, I was to do the Victoria Inn. So I went and did the gig in rugby. It was like a proper like old blokes mm. pub, but it was a long room. Mm. And you were basically on a little raised bit, which wasn't a stage. It was, you know... the Crate. You, no, 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 it wasn't even that. I mean, literally, you went up some steps and then there was some sofas and some more tables and it was just the highest point in the pub. Mm. And you had the full view down the length of the bar. But obviously, the bar is open, so people mm. were getting drinks. And there was another... It's like an L-shaped room as well. So then there was another load of people off to the side who were playing pool or whatever. Perfect. Who had no interest in the comedy. Mm. The people who were at the gig were more amused by the swearing than they were the ideas, let's say that. Mm. So again, supposed to do 10 minutes, did 15. Pretty much bombed for the whole thing. But also had to follow Lee Grant. Now, I don't know if you ever met Lee Grant, because I I think you probably started after he Mm. stopped. Mm. Like a solid opening act for that gig, certainly. Mm. And he used to do a lot for, like, Hilarious in Birmingham, Mm. and and he just had enough. Mm. And he he stopped when I was about three years in. But I had to follow him. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. one of his songs was about getting a colonoscopy oh. and you know and that had stormed it and I was like ooh they're not going to like me <laughs> and I was right and yeah. so that was fairly horrendous yeah. were you full of joy when you first got like hi guys no what was you you, your, your shtick then I don't really remember to be honest it was a, there was a fair amount of it where it was like here's some ideasy material from a guy doing creative writing right. And, you know, I didn't have the performance skills to sell it and all of this. And then, like, Neil said to me afterwards, like, OK, some of that stuff's really strong, but you want to end with that and move it around. And I went, OK, I will. So then I was supposed to then do the next gig for them two weeks later. But I ended up doing another gig after an improv gig with the university group. We did, like, a 90-minute show with the improv group, and then there were still people in the bar, and they went, do you want to, anyone want to do stand-up? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get up. So I then did pretty much the set I was going to do the following night, except mm. slightly changed. And that went a lot better to the students having rearranged it. And then mm. I went and did the other gig the following night. So I went from 15 minutes in rugby, I think I did seven and a half in Northampton. And I was like, OK, good. Nice. <laughs> and that went down really well. And the Victoria Inn was always a nicer, yeah. it was always a nicer room, which was mm. why I eventually, Donna and Neil went, we don't want to run it anymore. And I said, well, that's too nice a gig to get rid of. Mm. I'll take it on. So that was like two years in, two years after that. And I'd compared it three or four times for them in between them. Those were my first two gigs. But Sarah Pascoe says everybody's first gig goes well, otherwise you wouldn't carry on. Mine didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Mine was horrendous. Or maybe they're just so oblivious to the adrenaline. They might have thought it went amazing. You know, people come off and go, oh, I smashed it. And they're like, no, you didn't. You're okay. You did okay. No, my... What it actually was, was my mum had said to me, I don't think you'll be a comedian, I think you'll be a writer, because I think you'll have one bad gig and give up. And that was in the back of my brain going, I'm not letting her have that one. (laughs) Damn right. (laughs) So so I was like, whether she intended to do that or not, in order to get me to keep going, I don't know. But but it certainly worked, because I was that determined to prove her wrong that I kept going. So 
it's her fault then that she's sent you on this path. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's not wild about it. Uh, <laughs> if I ever show any interest in like getting a proper job, they, they get a pair of them get unbelievably excited about it. It doesn't happen very often because there's not many proper jobs I'm actually qualified for at this point because I've been doing stand-up stand and improv for so long. I'm a clown. Uh, so, yeah, like last few years we've been, I've been clowning, I've been doing... Yeah, exactly, yeah. That. I can, I'm just starting to take up some juggling now as well. I've, I'm up to uh, d- d- three now. I'm three yeah. three balls. Yeah, that's somebody like, somebody said to me years ago that stand up is like gambling, and the further into debt you get, the more you have to keep going with it in order to get yourself out again. Parents are they they teachers or what are they? Doing? No, no, no. Dad, he's got like a diploma in like printing, so he does. Um, he works. In, he's now back at, man, at the manufacturing side. So like mm-hmm. mag- certain magazines he used to print and mm-hmm. brochures for like travel companies mm-hmm. and stuff. He does. And then mum now works uh, for a charity called Vassal, which basically does elderly people who are lonely and don't see somebody. They basically organise somebody to go around and visit them once a week mm. and have a chat, take them to the shops, whatever. Sounds like an escort agency, doesn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, never thought that's, of it like that until you said that. But sure. Vassal, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, so, no, they, they've got like proper, like quite, you know, certainly mum has quite worthy jobs. Yeah, um, well, that's great. Like my sister is for a long time been working as a youth outreach for the mm. like church oh. the, the national church body that we grew up in um, she's been working for them yeah. I think she, she's changing to a different job soon so I'm very much the black sheep absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> like you see it's like oh yeah I helped some people this week well I made people laugh okay yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> I mean oh, I'll tell you what the last couple of weeks because I haven't been doing a lot of stand up lately because I've been doing so much improv stuff I went and did the English Comedian of the Year oh yeah and I went and did it in Derby, and I knew in the back of my mind that was a mistake oh, no. because I'd done that gig in Derby before and not gone down brilliantly. And I went and did it, and I'm no good with the time limit. If you put a time limit on me, I panic and I rush it, and I'm not as good as I am over a longer period of time. And so I was supposed to do seven minutes, and I completed the material I was going to do in five and a half. And then went, right, what's left? <laughs> and he was like, no he was like, you still got like a minute and a half. I was like, right, okay, well, I'll do this bit of material. And they mm. didn't go for it. Oh. And I literally left the stage with, well, that'll do me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was like, so that was, that was already quite, I'd done okay. It wasn't yeah, yeah. terrible. I'm yeah. making it sound worse than it was, but I'd done okay. I knew three acts went through and I knew there were three acts who'd done better than me. So I was like, I was watching it relatively relaxed. The way it worked was the audience could vote. They had to keep the scores out of 10 of how they thought everybody had done Mm. throughout the gig. And then at the end, they could vote three times, basically, for their top three acts. And there was 10 acts in it and I was the only one not to get a single vote. Oh, man. (laughs) And I was in the room. (laughs) I was watching it. And as I watched No Hands Go Up, my reaction was literally... Ha, that's about right. Oh, no. and, I, and I said that out loud. And yeah. It was actually probably the biggest laugh I got at oh, the gig. No. Oh. So that, and then I didn't have another stand-up gig booked in for like two weeks. Oh, shit. So I then had two weeks where like, I was just feeling <laughs> like a failure where I was going, oh God, I'm, never, I'm not funny. I don't know why... And I'm like teaching my workshops going, yeah. I don't know why people are coming to me for workshops yeah. and all of it. Just crying cloud in the corner. <laughs> this is not working out for me, yeah. guys. I hope you can do it. Take this, my, take my legacy. Yeah. Make something up. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> then last week, I was like the first gig I'd had since then. And then I had two gigs in two days. And I went and did one, well, they're both in Northampton, actually, but one was mine and one was for somebody else. Mm. And the first one was for somebody else where all of the other acts really struggled. Like, they were not a, like the crowd was really difficult mm. but I watch that kind of gig and go I'm having this yeah. 
so the first act had done like okay, mm-hmm. but hadn't really connected with them, and they weren't quite drunk enough. It was Wednesday night, and mm-hmm. you know, and then so I went on going right, I'm having this. So I got them to like cheer and try and mould them into a crowd a bit. Yeah, then I did okay. And then the next hat went on and essentially picked a fight. Oh, <laughs> but so he basically picked a fight with these two guys who'd been heckling all the way through. And it was not like an aggressive fight, but he was like trying to win it. You know, he was trying to win the heckling. Yeah, that's, and yeah. that's not the way to deal with this sort of, okay. that sort of crowd. You've got to engage them and shut them down simultaneously. Yeah. And then the headliner went on. And the compare basically threatened the audience to shut up. (laughs) And he basically was trying to bribe them. He was saying, like, if you don't talk all the way through this next act, I will pay for your tickets to come next month. We'll give you a meal. We'll give you all of it. So he's like, put so much on the table. And obviously they didn't. (laughs) They couldn't couldn't last the 20 minutes of the headliner set. They got to about, I think, probably 16 minutes before they actually chipped in. But, But because he essentially threaten the audience to be quiet mm. they really didn't laugh at most of the headliners act so there was like a couple of acts so at one point he literally said it's lovely to hear an audience laugh despite themselves came off stage took his money and walked straight out the door and I was like fair enough yeah. but I was going I've done a very good gig there in the <laughs> circumstances so I was like right okay that's made me feel a lot better yeah, and then yeah. the following night was my gig at We Are Most Amused and I was comparing stormed it and I was like, oh, I can do this. I remember now. Yeah, it's That's fine. It. I was talking to somebody in the audience and she worked for, uh, she was a civil servant. And I said, which branch? And she said, oh, I'm in the foreign office. And I said, how much of your day is spent going, no, Boris? Which <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> was one of my favourite things I think I've ever said whilst doing right. audience banter. Right. Yeah, those two gigs back to back last week did make me go, oh, good. Right. Because there was like one tough gig and I did all right, and there was one like nice gig where I, I ripped it, and I was like, those are the sort of gigs you want sometimes, just to remind you. Mm-hmm. When I first started, I said to myself, right, if you have three bad gigs in a row, you clearly suck at this and you should stop. As a, uh, like my mum saying, I think you'll have one bad gig and give up. Yeah. I've got to two a couple of times and never got to three. Three strikes you're out. Yeah, because I, because I always will get to two and then the third one I'll go, I'm having this. Mm. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, just kicks it up a little bit. Mum's voice is, yeah, is yeah. playing in the back of the head. Yeah. So it's, 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 you've got to set yourself reasonable ways of keeping yourself motivated. Yeah, true, for sure. Because yeah. it's so easy. Like I listen to like loads of comedians like... Jimmy Carr and people, mm. you know, going, you will have bad gigs and I still have bad gigs now and mm. all of this. And I was like, okay, mm. rather than getting down about it, I'm just going to accept that that will happen. Mm-hmm. And I have a similar policy for the good gigs is mm-hmm. I don't get too up on the good gigs. I don't get too down on the bad gigs. Exactly. Drive home, pick up some food, mm. go home, eat, watch TV, fall asleep, repeat. Don't get too up on the on the good ones, too but down on the bad ones, and it's a slightly healthy Keep a level. level. Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you do comedy for kids as well? I think the last time I did uh, performed for kids, you were there, and it was that terrible gig we did in a tent. Oh, that was awful! The promoter who booked us for that is a good friend of mine, yeah. who I like very much, mm. but he volunteers to run some terrible gigs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he's booked me for a few things oh. before going. And like that gig, we didn't even get paid because it was basically, it was basically a, you can have a wristband and you can get some curry from the bar or you, yeah. get, you can have a few like pints. I don't drink, so anybody offering to pay me in alcohol is always stupid. And I had to compare the first like hour of that gig and then I had to go home because I had something else to do. But there was kids in the audience. Yeah. Like my primary, I haven't sworn very much yet, so this is going to come as a shock to people mm-hmm. listening, but the, uh, the, prime, the first thing we said was like, are we all right to swear? Because mm-hmm. like, 
you know, I, there's kids in, and we haven't been given any content restrictions or anything. And like, there was uh, dad in on mm. the front left. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. He was a couple, a couple of kids, and properly on it as well. Yeah, and Chris Norton Walker went on first, and he said to the two lads who were probably, I think, four and five or mm. three, or maybe three and four. He said, "What's the rudest word you know?" And I think one of them went, "For fuck's sake!" <laughs> <laughs> Which Chris then repeated about eighty times yeah. through, his, through like ten minutes there. <laughs> and I was just I was like it just feels wrong and yeah. so I went back on and I ended up doing an improv exercise which I'd, I'd done another gig with some kids in a, a few years before and be, and I thought oh this would be a good idea to do like after the interval and I went back on and they'd left so I was like oh right I'm keeping that in the back pocket for if it ever comes up so I basically improvised the story and any time I needed the next detail of the story, I just pointed at the kids and got them to shout out what the next what the word was. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, these kids are like four and six, so they they primarily shouted the word poo. <laughs> yeah, so that was fine. But that was how I got through it, and yeah. because I'd involved the kids, everybody in the room was slightly more yeah. okay with it. But I mean, I would have thought what. 20% of that audience was stoned. Yeah. They, you know they wanted to do that gig outside? Oh, no. Because it was bad enough in the tent yeah. where I made them move it to. But yeah, there's so many gigs like that. But, yeah. And you travel so far from sometimes, isn't it? It's so annoying because I've got to a point now where I can walk into a room and go, nope. <laughs> 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 you, ju- you just know what the key things are yeah. that are going to ruin a gig. Like yeah. Chris and I, we think the pair of us together are jinxed because oh. every gig we do together is a bit weird. Uh, but the yeah. top two were, he rang me, he was on the motorway already driving up the M1. Mm. And I, he lives in St. Albans, I live in Market Harbour. So he rang me on the way up to Rotherham to say, Murph, if I'm doing this gig for Murph. Somebody's dropped out. Do you want to do it? I can pick you up on the way. I went, yeah, all right, sure. And we thought it was going to be a little pub gig. Mm. And we got there, and it was a private function for a football club, which had five different teams in the club right. of different age ranges. Oh, great. And they were all sat around the room. Mm. It was basically their, their awards night. And they were all sat around the room in their teams, not together in an audience. And there was going to be a disco afterwards, so there was a dance floor in front of the stage. Mm. So there was a mile between us and anybody in the audience. Mm-hmm. There was a DJ on stage who did not laugh at anything. So there's two people on the stage to look at. One is doing jokes, the other one's not laughing. Great. great. Mickey Sharma went on first, and obviously his act has got a lot of beatboxing in it. Because the microphone was connected to the DJ system, it had a leveller on it. So he goes to beatbox into the microphone, and it cuts out. <laughs> so he was supposed to do like 20 minutes. I think he did three and went, well, that's me. <laughs> so I got out to go, oh, it was so bad. Sam Avery that night, though, man, he did an extraordinary thing, because he did like all of the hacky jokes. Yeah and won them over right. he was like headlining you. and I was like I don't know the hack jokes I wouldn't yeah. have even been able to do that if it had occurred to me yeah. and the mm. promoter of that gig afterwards said to us last year we had a casino night and that went down really well but we thought we'd do something different this year mm. so it was either you guys or strippers better. wow did you pick the wrong choice there absolutely um, I'm pissed off doubly was, pissed off yeah really. so bad and then the other one we did similar sort of principle he rang me again and this was in Huddersfield got there found the venue walked in and we're like, okay, this is just a bar. It's like a restaurant. There's mm. like an island bar in the middle of the room. We're going, there's no way it can be in here. And we'd come up the only stairs, so mm. there was nowhere else, to go, nowhere else to go. And we went up to the bar, so is this where the gig is? And they went, oh, no, that's upstairs. And we're like, oh, where? Because we're already upstairs, as far as we mm-hmm. can tell. And they were pointed at some doors, which like were closed, and there was like high chairs stood up in front of them. So we were like, oh, we must be the first ones here. So we moved the high chairs, go through the doors, there's more stairs, you go up. And it's there's like a nightclub above this bar, basically. 
So we walk in, all of the walls are red glitter, like Elton John's bathroom in my mind. <laughs> and there's already about 20 people in the room. So <laughs> this is the only way into this room and they put high chairs in front of it. So we go in, there's a DJ on the stage who's like setting up and we're like, okay, what's going on with the DJ? And it turned out he was doing a set after us. And this guy was a YouTube sensation in the Huddersfield area for being a shit DJ. So the 20 people who were already there were there to see him. They weren't there for the gig. Right. So they ended up, throughout the gig, they were just sat off in the corner talking amongst themselves. So that was an entirely separate annoyance. So this bill is me, Chris Norton Walker, a local actor who was doing his first gig, and Shazia Mirza headlining. So there's like money spent on this thing. So it was, should, have been, mm-hmm. should have been good. And the promoter's greeting us and whatever. There's no compare. He's just going to introduce us. So uh, straight away, red flag. You totally. Um, <laughs> so, and he goes, oh, I've never really done comedy, but I'm sure it'd be fine. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I've got to open this thing. So I'm going, oh. And I'd said to Chris on the way up, I might just do, I might just like riff and do audience banter and see what, what happens. Because there's only been paid to like 20 quid for it. And I think mm. Chris was paying me himself out of his oh. money or some ridiculous thing. Yeah. The promoter goes on stage. He removes all of his clothes. No. Ex- yeah, except for a pair of Bermuda beach shorts that he's got on underneath his clothes. Still hasn't said anything. Removes from a bag that he's brought on with him a diving mask and a snorkel when he hangs those on the mic stand. Still hasn't said anything. Gets out a, a giant inflatable beach ball and blows that up. Puts the stopper in it, punts it into the crowd, still hasn't said anything, and then goes, Right, your first act's from London, and his name's Tom Young. <laughs> and so I went on, and I went, I don't usually start gigs like this, but what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I've now gone, Right, okay, my original plan for this gig to improvise has gone, mm. because I am now going to have to define what this gig is. Mm. So if I improvise, everyone after me is going to have to. That's true. So I was like, Right, I'm going to do material. So I did my. 10 minutes, I was supposed to be doing 15 minutes, I did my 10 minute set and that filled the time because they were heckling so much. Or not like in a bad way, but they were just like trying to join in and I was just beating them down. Yeah. So I got through my set and it was fine, during which time Shazzy has arrived and she's watched this. And then Chris goes on and Chris does what Chris always does, he does three jokes and then yells at people. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's had a really lovely, he's had a yeah. decent gig because yeah. I've sort of, you know, I've made it yeah. bearable for him. You've taken one for the team, man. And then, and then the break happens. Now, during this time, the promoter, has, who it turned out had been drinking since about four o'clock that afternoon, he, which is partially why he thought the whole beach shorts thing was a good idea, still don't know why he thought that was worth doing, he comes over and Shazi is now worried because she's going, oh, I can't really do audience banter and they seem like a really energetic crowd. I just mm. do, you know, like thinky jokes and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I went, look, I did material, you'll be fine. Ignore what Chris did. That's just what Chris <laughs> always does. I was like, as long as, as long as you just slap them back down, they'll be okay. And the promoter, who, as I say, is three sheets to the wind, <laughs> he just leans over to Shazia and goes, don't worry about it, love. At the end of the day, They've all been to a takeaway. Wow. <laughs> and me oh. and Chris and Shazia fell about laughing yeah. because we went, well, it can't get any worse now. On the bright yeah. side, this will be a story forever. And so at the end of it, me and Chris were like leaving during the interval. So yeah, I, I think I spoke to Shazia on Facebook a couple of days after and said, how did it go? And she went, yeah, it's fine. Chris and I were leaving because we had a long drive back down to Leicestershire and, mm. and St. Albans. So we left during the interval, and then Chris, did, Chris got that 
really awkward thing where we're stood next to each other and one person came over to tell Chris how well he did and ignored me completely. Oh, so I was going, it's yeah, it's about right, yeah. <laughs> so it was just, it was just so bad where you were just like, this is actually funny how bad this gig is now. But even then, I was like, I didn't die on my ass. It was like, it was the performance was bearable. It was just the mechanics of the gig were wrong. It's all set up wrong. <laughs> I mean, this is partially like, because I, I took myself off the circuit. Yeah. I mean, not long, probably at the gig we met. Right. Because we met at uh, Evesham, right? And that's that, right. That gig, yeah. That's right. And you'll remember like what happened at the end of that gig um, was no. I slated another act on stage who wasn't there. No. Because I was. They asked me to promote what's coming up. It was somebody who I didn't get on with. Oh no. And so I, I because I thought it was funny. Yeah. When, he's very funny. Bit of a prick in real life. <laughs> um, oh, no. And that got the biggest <laughs> laugh of the night. <laughs> So, so, oh, no. so I just um, it got the biggest it got the biggest laugh. So obviously I then went on with it. But because I'd done it so memorably, yeah. they of course then went to see that person's show and told him. <laughs> so, so about two months later, I got a Facebook message going, "Heard you called me a prick in front of a load of bit," and I went, "Oh yeah, sorry, I did." Um, wasn't but it wasn't very professional. We got a big laugh, and you know, it's a it. joke. And he, and he sent me, and he sent me back. Well, just so you know, my show sold out. So clearly, they think that what I do as comedy is better than what you do. And I was like, <laughs> do you not think your show sold out because of what I did? <laughs> I was like, in one way, I was like, yeah, fair enough. I've I've done a, a not particularly professional thing there, and I do feel bad about it even now. But on the other hand, you have just proved my point in, ter- in terms of how you've reacted. Exactly. So it was, well, yeah. but. That was the point at which I went, I don't really like what this circuit is doing to me anymore. And at that point, I was about five years in, probably. And I'd been doing it, like, a lot. And I got a bit of momentum. You know, I'd done four shows, probably, by that point. And I was just like, I need to stop doing this for a while. Mm. So I had that thought. And then I had, like, another two gigs booked in. And I think I did those. And then it happened to be the same point at which the credit crunch hit the comedy circuit. And obviously, everybody got pushed down a level. Mm. So, like, all the, like, acts who were just about to sort of do Mock the Week mm. and were, like, headliners at Jonglers and whatever, they suddenly needed to get work from, yeah. like, people like Spiky Mike and they had to come down and do those gigs. And yeah. people who were just getting paid, yeah. like me, got pushed back down to the open mic level. And yeah. I just went, I'm out, I've run out of money. I can't afford to keep mm. doing this. So that was when I went and set up the same faces and started doing all the improv stuff because yeah. I was like, well, if I can get money from that, yeah. then that will be where I have money in order to justify going to do gigs so yeah. unfortunately the admin time that goes into doing all the improv stuff is the admin time that used to go into getting gigs yeah. but it, the side effect has been that I went okay I need to stop being in this slightly toxic competitive yeah. environment where yeah. all of your friends in stand up you are still competing against mm. and that's why there is a joke on the circuit of who books that because every gig yeah. Every gig somebody takes a photo of, of, of a nice room, somebody will go, who books that? Mm-mm. And it's because you want to go and do that gig. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. There's yeah. no like hidden meaning behind it. I just was like, ah, I don't think that's a healthy way of doing it. And I've been doing this for a while now and I can't afford to keep gigging. So I'll go and do stuff that I run. Mm-hmm. And then I don't have to worry about trying to be competitive with my friends because it's also the reason I'm shit at competitions because I don't like beating my friends at things. So an improv is just a bit of a nicer environment because everybody's got to work together to make a thing. And so the gigs I primarily do now are the ones I run, like We Are Most Amused, and the Same Faces stuff. Those are the main like performance outlets I have. And then obviously the workshops is... Improv workshops are slightly unusual for comedy because you can actually get better without an audience being there. Mm. So I've been doing that for just past four years now. So 
the combination of those things has meant that I'm now theoretically happier. (laughs) 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 Having said that, my show this year was called Experimental Happiness. It also means that the the stand-up that I do is, like, I enjoy it more because it's stuff that I run, so I don't have to worry about the hassle of getting gigs from people or people not liking me or people not wanting to book me because I'm not well known enough or whatever so I've actually in this four years where I haven't been gigging very much I've got so much better because I've been doing stuff regularly and my performance skills have improved by doing more improv like I wasn't a huge fan of the show I did this year Mm. can't remember now I think I had 18 people in the audience and some of whom had seen bits of it already and so, and it really needed momentum as a show yeah. because it was quite dark. <laughs> it was quite bleak in places, to be honest. Right, okay. it, it needed the momentum in order to carry it through the darker bits in order to keep it going. Yeah. And because people had seen bits of it already, right. they didn't laugh so much at the bits they'd seen and that yeah, lowered the momentum. Of course. But my sister said to me afterwards, and she's come to it all by my first show, and she said, oh, that's the funniest one you've done. Right. And I was like, oh, all right, good. But I was still like, uh, the one I did the year before was probably... Better. It was certainly a better experience to perform it. Was it a storytelling truth show about yourself and well, how you think, or what was it? So I'll go back to summarising the previous shows, so you've got some sense of where my head was at as yeah. the process went along. So the third one was unfashionable thinking. The fourth one was Tom Young's got issues, yeah. and so that was basically about how well, I must have been twenty-five, I would imagine, at that point, single, still living at home no real money to speak of, nobody knows who I am, <laughs> it was all of that. so it's like clearly there's something wrong here, because it's not, things aren't going particularly brilliantly, see that was what that show was about, following year I'd only written about half an hour, so I basically did a greatest hits show, and I did stuff from the previous shows, and that show didn't go very well, because a lot of it was on a powerpoint, and my laptop wouldn't talk to the projector, so I had to scrap it, and then edit that show as I was going through it, going right well I can't do that anymore, I can't do that anymore, I can't do that anymore, so that one didn't work very well, despite supposedly being a greatest hit. And then the show I did the year after that was uh, last year's. So that was um, Tom Young's Lacking Confidence, was what that one was called, which was basically about how the only form of confidence I really have is to stand on stage and talk to strangers. (laughs) But in terms of romantic confidence, like I can't go up and approach people who I like. I've never had that skill set. I'm no good at, like, I don't see things that are broken and go, oh, I know how to fix that because I just... well, there was a whole story about how me and a friend tried to change a tyre on our mutual friend's car, and then the following day, while our mum was driving it, the wheel came off. Oh, no. uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, I have very little to do with that. I very much blame my other friend. And so there was all that was what that show was about. And then so this year, the show was about what it was supposed to be about. The problem was that it changed halfway through the year. Because obviously with Leicester, the booking deadline is in September, mm-hmm. and then the show's in February. So that's a long old time for your circumstances to change. Mm. So, got issues, lacking confidence, and then experimental happiness. They're all basically one big show. If mm. you, you could watch them back to back and it sort of flows mm. together. What uh, experimental happiness was supposed to be about, because I came up with the idea in May, and at that point, I thought I had a date lined up with a girl who I'd like for a while. By September, that had all fallen apart. And no, that actually hadn't happened. She'd misunderstood I'd asked her out. This is how poor my romantic oh, no. skills are. So, the original idea for the show was all of these shows I've done have been about me not being happy, basically. What happens if I am happy? Can I still be funny? Is it going to affect my stand-up ability if I suddenly, if my main source of comedic inspiration is no longer there? Mm. Can I still do it? Mm. So then September rolls around. I've got a fairly like predictable rejection, looking back on it. 
and then had to submit the deadline <laughs> the show. and I went oh god I haven't got anything else so I still submitted Experimental Happiness mm. but the show actually ended up being these are the things that stop me being happy so it was like I'm trying to be happy but I can't because things keep getting in the way that yeah. bog me down so there was I told that whole I told a more elaborate version of that mm. story about that rejection yeah. which was basically the, the narrative structure of the show and it was nine months from May through to right through to the February mm. of like what had happened and then obviously the other things that had happened last year was that Trump had won Brexit had happened uh, there was a load of other daft things and then like the last one was like my skin got worse <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I was like I'm 28 I've had to start buying Clearasil again this can't oh. be acceptable so it was just it was a load of things that were just yeah. irritating that were, and that was basically what the show became so it was fine, but it was because it was all of the things that stopped me being happy. Mm, yeah. It was a lot of pathos in it yeah. because it was all of, all of these things where it's like, oh, I'm so nearly like happy with my life and whatever. Mm, mm. And yet it's still not quite what I want it to be. Mm. And I'm much more interested in that sort of show. That's just for me. But I mean, I see acts these days who, because obviously I run an open mic, so I see a lot of new acts. Mm. And I see a lot of people who are doing jokes or whatever, and I don't really care for the acts who anybody could do their set. Those are the, those are the ones where I'm less interested in what they've got to say. They still make me laugh and I can still enjoy it, but I'm more interested in stand-up being personal to you mm. and being about something revelated. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah Big stabbing noise. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> It's it's not necessarily about the pain, but I want to know something about that person, you know? Um, I I want it to be personal to them. So, I mean, I saw an act a couple of weeks ago who mentioned in passing that she'd had a boob job, just for the sake of one quick joke, and I went, ooh, that's your whole set. Because I've never seen anybody do that, do talk about that. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's such a unique, potentially such a unique routine. Mm. And I was like, oh, I, I really wish that you... Oh, there's so much more to yeah exactly no I was, pun intended to play with there. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was just I was just like oh that's potentially so interesting because you can talk about why you wanted to have it mm. the process of having it like going to choose what size you want and finding a doctor to do it and yeah. all of these things I'm going they've got to be comedy in that's it and it would be so unique there's a horrible idea that men don't want to hear about female comedians and I think that's such bullshit I mean at the minute Ashling B is one of my favourites and I've got a lot of time for like anything that she does on TV I will watch it but what better way to get men to pay attention to you than to talk about a boot but at the same time I felt I can't really not because I can't go up to somebody and go you should talk about your boot job but because I was like but it's because that may not be what she wants to do. That may not be the style of comedy she wants to do. The fact that I think that's more interesting doesn't mean that's what she wants to do. Of course, yeah. And so I was like, because like, as Rob Kemp said, like Ben Briggs said to him, don't take any advice. Mm. And I'm a nightmare for giving advice. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's like, because again, I see so many new acts and I've been doing this so long now that I can literally say, just do that, 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 and that. Just trying to help, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's Especially when I see somebody who are like, oh, you've got it. You just you're new. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's like yeah, I can see where you're going to be. Mm. And obviously, because I now teach improv, mm. and that is my my primary source of income. And yeah. I teach it to all ages. Like I, I teach at a school in Leicester, so I run the drama club there. And I'm like, there's a girl who's like, oh, she must be twelve now, but she's got the best comic timing of anybody I've ever met. Mm. I teach at all ability levels, so I know I've got a very good eye mm. for looking at somebody's comedic work 
and just go. And, <laughs> Sorry, and, <laughs> I don't know where yeah, you were going. Then. I was locked into the helping that woman with her her uh, her material about her. Oh, right, right, so yeah. still locked so, yeah, yeah. into that. Yeah, I've got, I've got a very good eye for that. Yeah, no. But, yeah. No, well, that's good, Thomas. Good, you got a good eye for, for material. <laughs> no, no, I've, got, I've got a good like director's eye in terms of being able to look at something and go, oh, if you just do that, that'll yeah. that'll make it a little bit better. <laughs> oh, we're such children. I know, I know. I'm sorry. You can't just sit here giggling about boobs. That's not going to be a good podcast. It's um, been great. Yeah. It's been great. I know you're you're in it. You can see the you can see the, the Matrix now with, yeah. with the, with the yeah, yeah. stuff, and it really helps because I've I've done I've done only level one and two this year, just gone. And it's really helped me. Where'd you do it? I did it with Monkey Toast. So there, there are all your shows, your seven shows. Is that right? You so Social Network, Fantasy Life, yeah. Fashionable Thinking, Got Issues, a work in pro- Tom Young's A Work in Progress. Right. I didn't actually say the title, but I did talk yeah. about that one. That was the greatest hits one that okay. fell apart. Yeah. The Lacking Confidence and then Experimental Happiness. Experimental happiness. Right. And they're, they're very much like the, um, in my mind, they're very much like the Star Trek movies in that the odd-numbered ones are the ones that don't work. <laughs> yes. It's always, always even. So literally this year, leading up to it, I was like, oh God, it's an odd-numbered year. I don't think it's going to go very well. And I don't know whether that thought put it in my head. That's it. Um, self-fulfilling prophecy yeah exactly and then now I've just got to a point where I go oh, this is yeah. not going to go very well now, are you doing the fringes here as well do you just do well this, I've, this is the thing I've done seven hours right and I do them I very much do the process backwards because I I literally I will test it once usually at We're Most Amused mm. I'll test the material once and then I do it at the, at the festival and then I spend the rest of the year workshopping it so at every gig I do after that I do the bits that have worked and make them sharper and whatever yeah. I've got Probably, if you actually totaled it up, I've probably got three and a half hours of material that works. But I've never done the fringe. And the reason is I haven't got any money. I can't afford to go up to Edinburgh for a month. I'd love to, but it would require a promoter or an agent or somebody going, we think your show's good, we should take it. It would it would take that happening, or if I suddenly got funding or something. Are you actively seeking an agent? Well, I'm not, because I'm not gigging often enough to justify it, but... Similarly, I would love to have an agent because it would make life so much easier, yeah. especially with all of the admin stuff that I do for the improv stuff. If somebody else could do the admin for stand-up, mm-hmm. then I'd be delighted. I mean, I've got so much material that if when I eventually do go to Edinburgh, I'll be able to just go, OK, what's the best bits? Let's find that. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in theory, I've got a strong show waiting to happen. Yeah. It's just a matter of being able to do it. I keep meaning to go and do like all the other like fringes around the country and go and do you know Brighton and Buxton and... Mm-hmm all the other smaller ones because really I just do Leicester every year as I say for the sake of the deadline yeah. in order to force me to do it mm. but as you said you're doing it for you aren't you yeah. like you, took the, you, you removed yourself from the circuit and then it's like right look I'm doing this for me I need to get back to what I love about it rather than that, that, that bitterness that angry yeah. person coming out saying oh, I don't want to be that person I want to be the happy yeah. person that I am yeah, I, w- I want to do it because I like it not because or I want to enjoy doing it rather than feeling like I'm constantly competing against people who I think are, you know, good. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many people who I started with who I now look at what they're doing and go, ah, you're so much better than I am now because they're gigging every night. Right. So people like people who you've had on, people like John Pearson, people like Rob Kemp, mm-hmm. people like uh, Scott Bennett, who mm-hmm. I we all started around the same sort of time. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, in each case of those, I think I started about a year before them. Mm-hmm. But Scott, like, is just spectacular now whenever I see Scott I go oh my god he's good now mm. and like John is great and Rob I mean I was listening to his podcast and he was with you and he was being incredibly humble about yes, it obviously yeah. dead but my god mm. I was at the second show 
He got two standing ovations, mm. one of which lasted a full minute. I haven't seen The Evil Dead 2, mm. and I still thought it was the funniest thing I've ever mm. seen. I said to him afterwards, like, there's been two times in my comedy career where I've watched another act and gone, I could never do that. And one was Kitson, and the other was Elvis Dead. And I was like, he's just brilliant. Um, mm. he, and I said to him years ago, because I used to do a gig at the Y Theatre in Leicester, which is called Emergency, which was a, technically an arts night, but because I was comparing it, more and more comedians used to go and do it. You got audience feedback at the end, which for arts was fine, but for comedy... Mm. And I used to like run interference, because I would compare the, the feedback as well, mm-hmm. and I would just go, OK, well, I'll, yeah. I'll give you more useful advice than what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And I said to... Rob came and did it, and I said... This was, like, Rob was maybe 18 months in at that mm-hmm. point... And I said, I can't wait to see you do an hour because at the minute, what happens is you do a 10 minute set. And for the first seven minutes, the audience is not on board because they don't. They, it's so weird. They haven't adjusted. And then the last three minutes, you absolutely storm because now they've got it. And I was like, when you do an hour, if that theory carries out and you the first seven minutes, they lost. And then you've got them for f- 53 minutes. Oh, it's going to be amazing. And Rob said to me, can I put that on a poster? <laughs> And I said, well, you can, but you need to bear in mind nobody outside this room knows who the fuck I am. (laughs) (laughs) He then did hubris. Mm. Do go and listen to Rob's podcast while I'm talking about this, because it won't make any sense otherwise. But he then did his hubris show, and I was one of the people who afterwards was saying to him, like, that was really good, mate, that's going to do well. And he would go, oh, I'm not sure, it was, you know... And then he got nominated for an award. Mm. And I was like, I literally posted on his Facebook wall, said, told you. And then Elvis dead this year. And I was just like, oh my God. It was like, it was so good. Yeah. And it's just nice to see people who I like and people who are so nice, such nice people like Rob as well, exactly. doing well. And I'm like, I think this is part of the reason my own career didn't go so brilliantly was because I care too much about what other people are doing mm. and not enough and not enough about just me, mm. which is why improv suits me because yeah. it's teamwork. And I, I, in the last four years, I've trained, I think it's over 20 people now from nothing to yeah. performance standard. And I'm, you know, very proud of that group yeah. because there's like, these are essentially my babies. <laughs> where no, just, no, no. Where I've just gone, oh, look how wonderful you are now. Yeah. And they can all come and play with me and they play at my level. Yeah. And you're unlocking their potential as well. There's, there's yeah. massive potential in each one of these people you're teaching. It's, and it, it's, it's untapped. There's so much joy in that performance yeah, as well, yeah. that art. My constant mission at the minute is to raise its profile. Right. Because most people who know what improv is have seen it once mm. by, let's say, a university group mm. who weren't very good. Mm-hmm. And they've gone, well, that's what improv is. I don't need to see that again. Mm-mm. But because there's so much of that, because in, in America it's huge, it's like mm-hmm. it's on like equal footing with. Say, I would have thought it probably goes stand up improv sketch in mm-hmm. America because yeah. all of like the people who end up on Saturday Night Live, the biggest comedy stars in America, mm-hmm. started doing improv. Whereas here, there's no until very recently there hasn't been any training centres for it. So the Bristol Improv Theatre is just recently opened. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be one base. Uh, I literally saw today the nursery in London are opening a theatre in the next. 12, 12 months they've signed a contract they're going to be opening a theatre they've been a training centre in London for ages you know my long term goals is to have a version in Leicester mm. but there hasn't been and this is part of the reason for the weekends as well there hasn't been enough top level teachers mm-hmm. certainly in the regional areas like you know if you're, if you're a group in Yorkshire yeah. that's a long way to go to London to get to the best people who could teach you mm-hmm. so the, the standard may not be as high mm-hmm. 
in those places because they haven't had the same teaching level. But if we can bring them all to us and go, okay, let's train you up together and then you can go back and get better and then come back to us again and we'll give you something new and keep it going. I'm very much a rising tide raises all ships. So if the standard across the country is better... It helps me <laughs> yeah, <of course>. yeah. <laughs> because everybody then goes, oh, okay, the improv is a, of a higher standard mm. and people start to think of it as a legitimate form of comedy. I mean, it's still not eligible to be considered for the awards in Edinburgh mm. until this year. It hadn't been for about five years. It hadn't been considered for the Leicester Comedy Festival. And it's been me complaining for five years going, are you going to consider improv this year? And they go, oh, no, no. And then this year they did, but they made it the cat. They made the category best musical or improv act. Mm. To my considerable amusement, the same faces didn't get nominated. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so I spent five years banging on about it, and then everyone was like, "Well, now we'll consider it." Still not you. Oh, um, no. Still but, for everyone else. So it's yeah. Well, well, I'm I'm very good now at spotting who the judges are at Leicester Comedy Festival. A, they tend to turn up on their own. So that's always a giveaway because it's the only person in the audience not sat with someone else. So I knew who it was. I knew who the judge was. He'd watched a show that I was really happy with. I was like, that's a strong show. I'd nominate that without having seen too many of the other shows yet because it was the first weekend. I thought that was solid. And then Friends of Ours got nominated. And I was like, oh, good. I'm glad. At least it's people I know who've got nominated for their show Scriptless in Seattle, which is an improvised romantic comedy. So I was like, oh, good. Well, at least they got nominated. But because the category was musical or improv, mm. Rob got nominated. Oh, yeah. And so as soon as that happened, I went, well, Rob's winning that. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was actually yeah. glad we hadn't been nominated because yeah. I was like, yeah. there'd be nothing more depressing than looking at the nominees going, oh, I already know who's going to win that. That's it. But it, it just seemed daft to me to put musical and improv in one category because mm-hmm. obviously Rob also won Best Show. And I was like, hang on, if I don't believe you'd have nominated an improv show for Best Show. Mm but you will nominate a musical show, so I don't think they should be in the same category. Mm. Also, a musical show is still pre-written, so it will probably always be sharper than an improv show is. Of course. Mm. So they're not equal footing. No, of course not. Basically, that category was everything that's not stand-up. Yeah. And I was just like, eh, they're not the same. I'm all in favour of a musical award and an improv award yeah. and a stand-up award. And Yeah. But More to put them, to group them together, yeah. I was like, yeah, it's a, it's a shame they've done it that way, but at least mm. some improv got nominated this year, which for the last five years hasn't even been considered. It was a, it was a step in the right direction. Yeah. And it helps, like, Showstoppers got, they won a, an Olivier Award for their West End run yeah. last year. Wow. And I was going, okay, well, that's good. Mm. But I find it funny that the Theatre World has given them an award and the Edinburgh Comedy Awards wouldn't have considered them. Mm. That seems ridiculous, mm. but... It's a, it's a long way to go, so I'm hoping to rename, because at the minute the, the weekends are just very wordy, it's the UK Improv Co-op Weekend Retreat, <laughs> which is a very long name, and I'm trying to, I'm going to be making a case this weekend. Yucker. Yeah, exactly, this is a, this is a <laughs> so I'm going to be making a case that we should change it to the British Improv Project, right, because cool. that's what I, that's I, I see it as a project, I see it as an opportunity to yeah. make British Improv better. And, and easy to say, BIP. Yeah, exactly. Now, my original unfortunate acronym was to call it the U- the UK Improv Project, <laughs> which was no, problematic. No. And, I, and then somebody pointed it out to me, and I went, "Oh, yeah, we should probably not do that." Yeah, um, never going to go. Well, in certain places, it might not go great. Well, exactly. Yeah. And my and my and obviously, all the people who come to the weekend then started suggesting alternatives to me. Oh, okay. So the the first one that came up, I think, was the English Dramatic Learners. 
<laughs> so, and then it, got, it got, was getting more and more elaborate with more and more like wildly inappropriate mm-hmm. names yeah. for the group. My favourite one was when somebody got, came up with a really long name, and I, I took me a little while to work out what it was, and it spelled out Boko Haram. Oh, <laughs> I was no, like, wow, no. you put some work That's into that. Yeah, yeah. Well so there was like twenty of them in the space yeah. of ten minutes, where Great. they were all just getting increasingly. <laughs> the Improv Society for Independent Study or something so they were just getting more and more stupid as they yeah, were coming along nice. um, so and we were like asking for serious suggestions there wasn't yeah. a single serious yeah. suggestion yeah, that's it. Always <laughs> away. Always they were always. all stupid um, that's my ongoing goal at the minute yeah. Raise, it, raise its profile and raise its standard are the two things I'm trying to do it's, it's a, that's going to be a big ongoing project and hopefully will involve improvisers from around the country and we're trying to go and like perform in other places so that we get the same places get known more so that we become more influential from in that sense so we can start to say to people okay come and come and work with us for a day or we'll come up to you or whatever and we'll try and elevate your group not that other groups are necessarily not as good or whatever i mean some aren't that's just how it goes but it's just a it's there's no reason to compete when we can make everybody better better yeah what about percy what's the next mission well, at the minute, we've we've just started a new improv show in Leicester, so we've been doing short-form stuff like Whose Lines It Anyway for mm. a long time. So we've just started a long-form show, which we called Uncle Armando. There's a whole improv structure called an Armando. Mm. We have a monologist come and they tell stories, and then you do scenes based on that story. That's uh, Chicago improv, is it? is it? Yeah, trying to find a way to merge the world. So I've now got a stand-up who comes to be the monologist, mm who is our Uncle Armando, for the sake of the thing, or, mm. or Aunt Mandy, when we, <laughs> when we have uh, female yeah. comedians come and do it. Yeah. So we've just started doing that. So that's the most recent thing, and we're, we're still on a trial period with the, with the theatre at the minute for that. So hopefully, the, we, the first one did really well, and then the second one was the first week of the Easter holiday, so a load of people were away, so that, that affected our audience numbers. Yeah. Um, but hopefully the next two, because the next one we've got Rob, and then Diane Spencer for the one in June. So hopefully those will pick up and then the, the theatre goes dark for two months and then if we've had enough audience in, we'll have a 10-month contract with the theatre from oh, September course. onwards, so we'll, we'll do one a month. Advantage of that is that the theatre have also said to me, or I said to them, what are you doing for the comedy festival? Because it's just new proprietors have taken it on. Mm. So I said, what are you doing for the festival? And they said, oh, well, we're just starting to think about that. And I said, can I pitch you some stuff? And they said, yeah, send us some proposals. I said, well, here's like eight shows I could do. And they went, yeah, just send us whatever. And so, we're, so hopefully there will be a load of things I can potentially do in that space next year. So there's been some ideas I've been sat on for a while. Mm. So I've, been, I've had, I'm tempted to do a show that's a, mu- a stand-up musical about musicals imaginatively entitled Tom Young's Musical Musical <laughs> which so I've had that in my head for a while but I've never had the venue to do it in mm. so basically like talk about my relationship with why I like musicals and like tell the story of how musicals have evolved over the last 40 years mm. and then get a cast in to come and sing like using existing songs yeah. but rewrite the lyrics mm. though I'm a bit nervous that some people will go oh you're just doing that because Rob did Elvis Dead and I'm a bit nervous oh. about it being a bit too similar but I've had that idea for ages and just haven't had the venue to do it. So this might be the year where that happens. But it'll be very different because like Rob's show was, I don't want to spoil it, but mm. you know, it was it was a musical. It was very, like, there wasn't really any spoken bits, mm. whereas mine would have stand-up in, in, as like sort of chapter mm. Then I'd get cast in to sing the various songs. And so mm. I've got various ideas of what I want to do with that. Mm. I'm now a bit nervous that I haven't actually got long enough to do it properly right. because it's already 
April. April yeah. uh, it's already April, and there's a lot of work I'd have to do on it, and then get a cast and rehearse it. And so maybe the year after that with that one. I did a panel show with Rob and John and Karen Bailey mm-hmm. and Stella Graham mm-hmm. last year, which I didn't do this year because only ten people came to see it, and I went. It was a lot of work for not enough people. Mm-hmm. But the theatre's got their own mailing list, so maybe they'd help get an audience mm-hmm. in. So I might do that again next year. Yeah. If I don't do musical, musical, I'll find something else to do a stand-up mm. show about. There'll be the usual load of improv stuff. Mm. We run Improv Smackdown as well now, oh, so right. we get people from all over the country to come and compete to be Smackdown champion. Right. So all of that's going on. And then got the Same Faces AGM coming up probably in about two weeks' time. And I've just written the agenda for what stuff I want to talk about, mm. which is basically the meeting where I sit everybody down and go, OK, this is what I'm going to do and you're all going to do because I say we're doing it. <laughs> but the yeah. problem is, when it, when it started, when the same place it started, I said to the two lads I started it with, I'll do everything, you just have to turn up and play. Mm-hmm. And that was fine when it was one gig and one workshop. Mm. But we're now at three regular gigs, four weekly workshops, because I'm now doing two beginners classes as well, and the kids' stuff, so five. And so I'm doing all of that. We've run three regular gigs. We do random one-off gigs like in London or we're going to go down to Bristol hopefully at some point Mm. or all sorts of other stuff. So all of that's happening. So I now need to put a team in place so it's Mm. not just me because it's now ridiculous. Exactly. (laughs) It's now grown to a point where I can't do it on my own anymore. So I'm going to do all of that. Going to get hopefully get some of them to step up and say, okay, well, I'll do publicity or I'll do the money or Mm. I'll do booking for one-off gigs or whatever. And then the other thing I'm interested in doing is doing some shows on YouTube. Mm. So doing like a magazine show where we, you know, talk about film or whatever. Mm. Um, my mate's, one of the groupies got an empty garage, I reckon, between our combined skill set of the 20-odd people involved mm. with the group. I reckon we can probably turn into a studio. That will hopefully... I mean, this is very much my idea. At yeah. the minute. We haven't really fleshed it out. But so like magazine show and we'll talk about film and do some improv stuff in mm. it and maybe do a section in it where we like doing a miniature workshop mm. as part of the show so people watching it can learn stuff without mm. having to come to us and then lots of other stuff we'll, we'll hopefully do in it and yeah. I'm going to hopefully get somebody to produce that yeah. so I can just throw them ideas and then they can do it and hopefully we'll do that live once a week and then I've also got an idea that would run hand in hand with that for a an FA Cup of Trivia type of thing right. So I get like groups, maybe teams of two or three, I haven't decided what will work best yet. And then do, there'll be like five categories. You'll get three, both teams will be asked the same three questions. Mm. And the best of three of those three questions. If, if it's tied, they then both get a scoring question. If one has got a lead, then only they get the scoring question. So you, you're playing for five points, basically. Mm-hmm. So whoever then wins goes on to the next round the others get knocked out or potentially you end up in a sudden death scenario so you have to keep if it's tied you'd have to keep going yeah I want to try and make that work and then we can do it like the FA Cup so as part of the magazine show we'd be able to do the cup draw get a bag full of balls and draw it out and you know so potentially get some mix of comedians some other improv groups to come and play that's fun yeah yeah and it's just you know the other advantage of it is hopefully those other groups would then share it online And then more people find out about the YouTube channel and, you know, always thinking. Yeah, so it's just a matter of how can you spread knowledge of it. And we know so many other groups now that we've become friends with. Hopefully people will come and take part in it. So that's my short-term goal. That's that's quite a lot, man. That's that's a fair fair lot of time. I'm I'm always coming up with a new idea. (laughs) It's it's very dangerous because I just, I got ideas 
I've got more ideas than money, let's wow. say that. So where, where can we find you? Well, all over the place. So on uh, Facebook, I have a page for myself that I don't update very often, mm. but my handle for most social media is all the same. It's at Tom Young Comedy. It's my Twitter, my Facebook page, I think my YouTube, and my Instagram, all of that's all, all together on that. And then the same faces are at the same faces for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and then YouTube. I don't think I did it. I think one of the rest of the group set that up. So our handle on that is same faces 1000 with right. the numbers, which really irritates me still <laughs> four years later because I'm like, oh, it doesn't match. Um, so I'm trying now to get, trying to get to a point where we've got 100 subscribers, at which point you can choose your own URL. Oh, great. So I'm trying with it. It's like 73 or something. Right. So it's irritatingly close. But the YouTube is worth checking out. We put clips from all our shows cool. on there. So there's like, if you watched it all, it takes about five days now. There's a lot of videos on there. The Uncle Armando show Jack Campbell came and did last month. The whole of that show's online. It's really funny. You can watch that. We had Chris Norton Walker do it when we did a beta test during the comedy festival. Mm -hmm. Chris was Chris, so it's, mm -hmm. it, that's a very funny show as well. Just had Karen Bailey. We lost like the first half of that show because my camera battery died. But hopefully we'll, we'll get some of that up soon. And the other thing we're trying to do is just get more diversity in the group because... I'm trying to make sure it's not all white males. Mm. Um, it. <laughs> we're finally getting more women in, and mm. now it's now a matter of trying to get less white people in. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a gradual progress. I mean, we're based in Leicester. It's the, yeah. it's the most diverse city in the country, yeah. and I'm struggling to get non-white people. Yeah, hopefully we'll start to expand on that front soon. But yeah, uh, at the same faces and at Tom Young Comedy are the two places to find us. Tom Young, thank you for coming to Comedy. No problem, mate. It's been great, man. Thank you. Cheers. And that was episode 44 with a very tall, talented, and just a lovely guy, Tom Young. Go find him on social media. The handle for that is at Tom Young Comedy. He's also got an improv troupe YouTube channel, which the title for that is Same Faces 1000. If you want to learn about improv, his handle again is at Tom Young Comedy. If you want to follow this podcast on Twitter, we're there at The Comedy Defect. If you want to follow me, it's at Winter Phonander. Now I've got previews for my upcoming first hour show, which I'm writing at the moment, and the details of that are on my website, which is winterphonander.com. Now, if you want to support this podcast, you can go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast. You could donate as little as a dollar or as much as you feel this podcast is worth. But if you can't kick something back, just leave us a nice review on iTunes or Podbean because it really helps. And it tells people where we are and what we're doing. That was episode 44 with comedian and podcaster Tom Young. Next week we've got an equally great episode with a guy that hasn't been going a year and he's really good. It is Mark Rowe. Mark is making a documentary called The Long Road to Edinburgh, which he is taking around the country. He's interviewing loads of comedians of how to just get to grips with the craft and I talked to him about what his background is. And, oh, it was great fun. I really enjoyed talking to him about that. About how you shouldn't burn bridges along the way. <laughs> talking to him about a couple of bridges that I've burned. So you can listen to that one and, and have a laugh. I, I give the names, but it doesn't matter. It's what happens sometimes. That's life. I like to be honest. But that was episode 44 with Tom Young. Next week, we've got episode 45 with a very funny Mark Rowe. We'll see you next week, next Wednesday. Same place, same time. Until then. <laughs>